Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. How's it going? Good. It's been a busy week. You know, my uh, my life's been a little crazy with the medical stuff with my daughter, but mm-hmm. um, we're doing quite well. Good. I'm, I'm glad to hear she's, that. She's healing well. Um, has both of her, her nerves are healing. And now we just play the waiting game. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, it's good. It's not good that it happened, obviously. Right. It's good that uh, she is recovering. Yep. And she's she's the hard worker when it comes like she's doing physical therapy and she is she's like, whatever, I'm going to I'm going to own this. So nice. we, we just got uh, exercises yesterday and her mm-hmm. left hand. She couldn't close. Mm-hmm. And when I got we got those. When I got home, she was closing it all the way. Nice. <laughs> she's like, she's like awesome. look at this. This is no problem. No problem. I got this. <laughs> well, that's great. So that that's good cool. to hear. How about you? How's your life? Oh, you know, I'm just working. Working and working. Work, work, work. Called me working. Home. I'm playing D&D. Uh, you know, it's good. It is what it is. You keep saying you're going to invite me to that. When did I say that? I don't know. I said that? You told me you were going to ask everybody, and I know the people you play with, so I assume they just said no. Well, (laughs) I mean... Like, do not bring Amos. (laughs) He'll never shut up. (laughs) I actually have uh, completely forgot to ask them. Do you want to (laughs) play? You also seemed busy, so I didn't want to, you know... Well, the last few weeks have been a little nuts. (laughs) So I didn't want to make... I didn't want to make your life even harder. (laughs) So, we can play D&D. I like playing cool. D&D. I'm always down to play more D&D. So I just got an email from a friend the other day. That mm-hmm. D- have you ever heard of D&D online? I'm familiar with D&D. D-O.com. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, not specifically, but I am familiar with the idea. Yeah. So um, I guess uh, a lot because of like COVID and stuff. Mm-hmm. Normally you pay for a bunch of adventures. Right. And they're given like 90 of them away for free. Oh, that's awesome. And then they have a couple of them that are on like this super sale that are usually would cost you about 50 bucks and now they're $3. Nice. That's awesome. It's a good time to play, you know, RPGs, role-playing games, D&D, whatever, whatever your, whatever, you know, your, your game of choices. It's a good time to do that online. The, the tools to do it online are really good. And they're getting better um, all the time. Like, or at least of, they exist. Like some of them are, yep. uh, there's not like a, a standout, like this is the best way to do it. That some of the tools out there are sort of, as I describe them, lovably janky. <laughs> oh, you're talking <laughs> you about <know>. Roll20? <laughs> yeah. So like, it's it's funny with one of my, so I, I'm in two games. I'm a player and a DM. Um, and in my the game where I'm playing, I've become, because I have, I learned a lot about Roll20 to do, Okay, so back up a little bit. Roll20 is a web app that you can use to run RPGs um, online. It's basically like a tabletop board simulator. It's like a tactical map simulator kind of thing. And it, it has tons of features, very clearly features that were developed not as a grand vision, but as like sort of ad hoc, like I need this new feature. <laughs> You know, it's got a real Emacs feel to it. It's like oh, it does. It's like you can cobble this thing together to make it into a lightsaber. 
but it's really good. I mean, it's it's good for what it is and it's all real time and all that kind of stuff in it. And I really like it. It is lovably janky. I am a huge fan for whatever reason. Something about it like appeals to me. I suspect it's how people feel about type systems. It's like you can't, it's, you know, you like <laughs> it just because it's lovably, it's lovably <laughs> jank. It's like, and it's also like a problem to solve that didn't probably need to be solved. Like there could just be a better thing, but you know, it makes it more fun to solve the problem. And it has like a macro system that can call other macros and like, you know, I've gone real deep on all this stuff and, and automating JavaScript things stuff for my players. You can do music through it. So you can play music through it for all your players at different key events, stuff, which I definitely have gotten into. You want to have some fun with that? No, uh, I mean, I'm having fun it, with it already. It, it put on music that never ends. I don't know what other like fun I could have. If you put on music that never repeats, if somebody tries to close their browser, it won't close. Oh, fun. Yeah. Good, good to know. <laughs> At least on good Chrome. To, <laughs> good to know. <laughs> I, I had to force quit Chrome because that was running. Anywho, Roll20 is a thing that exists, and it's fun to use if you enjoy kind of solving problems and stuff like that. And it does tons and tons and tons of stuff. Like, you could you could play, you can run your entire game via Roll20, but it's pretty complicated. You got to really, like, learn it. But it's become a joke in my game where I'm a player that, like, whenever we get stuck on a Roll20 thing, I've become like the the Roll Twenty like lore master. Oh great! For, so the DM will you, be like, "Chris, how do I do this?" You can ask me anything about a Gen server or Roll Twenty. I'm there for you. Yeah, well, you know, it's like it's a common DM practice to you know you always get a rules lawyer in all your games. Oh, geez. and in our in our game we have we already had a rules lawyer, but now I'm the rules Roll Twenty lawyer. <laughs> Is Greg your rules lawyer? No, in that game, I'm in in that game. I'm the rules lawyer. Uh, <laughs> nice, cool. Just as a side note, there is a control board in this podcast room mm-hmm. that'll allow us to have buttons for like laugh tracks. Oh, like sound effects. Yeah. Uh, okay. So this is the thing I, I have, I have to, to figure do. out how to use this. And we're, we're totally going to have that. We should set it up because I think I can set one up via, you know, there's like apps and stuff you can get too. Okay. So here's nice. the, we're going to figure out how to do sound effects. This is our homework for next, for next time. <laughs> we're both going to figure out how to do sound effects. And then we're going to bring that to the, we're going to bring that to the next recording. Nice. That's the challenge. Challenge All for right. next time. All right. Well, this one looks like it's just got, uh, well, the buttons are all labeled like drums. No, 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 no. But no. I'm pretty sure there's a way to do that differently, to relabel them, because it also has input numbers and and all kinds of things on here. I'm going to have so many good things. It's going to be great. All right. All right. Left track. Well, actually. Yeah, I was going to say, it's going to be a lot of just, it's just going to be a lot of accents. Are you tired of dealing with X library for web development? <laughs> well, okay. yes, no, I'm done. I'm no, done. No, continue the joke. It's good. I no, want to see good. where you're going with it. Nope, we're good. You quit for the punchline. <laughs> I think that whole joke was the punchline. <laughs> you're the punchline. <laughs> nice. So we, we got a question, right? From a listener. Look at me just trying to avoid the rest of that conversation. I'm just going to, no, listen. You can be the funny man this this episode. 
Nope, I'm good. You bring me in here. Mm-hmm. You bring me into your podcast. You demand I tell jokes. You then ruin the jokes that you demand that I tell. And you sick your you and and your your horde of people. You you sick them on me. Okay. You 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 badmouth me at conferences. Okay. To other people. What? You you throw me right <laughs> under the bus. I'm under the bus and I'm reaching up. I'm like Amos, help me get out from under this bus. And you're like, hang on. And then you throw more buses on me. And then. <laughs> Uh, so so okay. now you get to be the funny man. Uh, okay, I, make I me don't laugh. Know. Entertain I don't know if me. Wait a second. I got to start out with. I don't know if you're joking or not. Entertain me. But if I've ever bad mouthed you at a conference, <laughs> I'm really sorry. <laughs> uh, Son, you are I mean, in a twelve piece bucket of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> at least I avoided saying bad things about you when I was uh, on Elixir Wizards, right? No, you didn't. You didn't. You did not avoid <laughs> no, I that. No, you, I did. You made you made the the, the, the lamest feint at trying to be like, I don't, know, I don't I don't really want to say anything negative, but also Chris is a scumbag. You <laughs> see, I don't want to be negative or anything, but which if you ever start anything with I don't want to be blank, but <laughs> it's negative. Yeah. Well, it's whatever X is, yes. I don't want Chris to kill me in my sleep, so he's a really nice guy. <laughs> we actually, So I actually do this podcast completely out of fear that um, if I don't continue, Chris will show up on my doorstep while like in pouring rain and lightning Just behind him when I open the door. <laughs> At least uh, this way, it's at an arm's distance and it only lasts for an hour. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else knows this, but the way this podcast ends is I just shut down Zoom and move on. <laughs> like, stop talking to Chris. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, that's how it, never, no, no, I lied. We have I'm a topic. Crap. Oh, we do. <sighs> what you, this is, this is, this is all you. you well, you pulled up the email. You're driving you the bus. Listen, I don't, I don't have the We've email pulled up. We've already established that you and buses are synonymous. I'm in charge. You're yeah. in charge of the buses. <laughs> Crud, now I got to pull up the email. Well, we got an email from a listener. Um, I believe his name was Kyle. I'll tell you in a minute. You don't need to. Listener. You don't really need to like feedback. narc on the, on the person who sent us this email. Do you want me to read the email? I literally have it right here. here. Oh, I now I have it up. You waited long enough. I, I was able no, to I've, search I mean, my I've, email. I just wanted to just make you do things. Wait. Um, I would really like to have a show where... Chris talks less than 85% of the time. <laughs> there. Sometimes <laughs> I think I should just run away. <laughs> but who would have me? No one, I would, Chris. I, I, I would That's still have you, Chris. No one. <laughs> this is this is Chris and I's radio personalities. When we're off the air, we don't we don't banter as hard at each other <laughs> as we do on yeah. the air. No, yeah. This is this is this is all a bit. <laughs> all right this all is right. some real so inside you, baseball so you read it then so yeah so we got some letters here's the thing if you send us letters we'll answer them at least probably most likely at some point we'll answer maybe. the question yeah I'm reading Designing Elixir Systems by uh, Bruce Tate and James Edward Gray friends of the show they didn't say that I'm adding that parentheses 
and I have been uh, following along with the podcast for quite some time. Oh, thank you. My mind was totally blown by the processes are not data segment of the book. I was wondering if you all could talk about how to reframe your thinking to work with functional data. Amos, your thoughts? <laughs> it's all me. Yeah. So, so the processes are not data. I, so I pulled up the book today and mm -hmm. tried to try to search for processes or not data in the book to remind myself that phrase does not appear in my copy of the book <laughs> at all. But I, I think that the hard distinction there is um, processes versus functions, right? So we talk about in functional programming that that functions are data also. So it seems to follow like everything is data, but but processes are are external. They are the impure pieces of of your functionality. So you can pass the pit around purely, and that's just data. But once you try to send anything uh, and receive from an, from a process, you are entering a world where um, you may not get something back, or the state of that process changes your function to be impure so that's that's how i took this i don't know what are your thoughts chris yeah i think you know one of the main thrusts of the of that book is to model the sort of central pieces of your application as as data structures and as data transformation and push it's it's sort of a leaning really hard into Gary Bernhardt's functional core imperative shell stuff. Mm -hmm. It's leaning really hard into that. And the idea being we can do, you know, we're Elixir is a language that allows you to talk about data and you can sort of rely on manipulating that data as data and building out most of the core abstractions uh, as, as data. And I think that's kind of the idea. I don't. I also don't know specifically what that idea is referencing, but my assumption is it's 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 this notion that you can model most of your application as a data transformation, uh, at least as presented by the book. Um, that's that's the notion. So then, how do you how do you start thinking that way? Uh, actually, like. What are your opinions on that? Can you do you think you can model most of your system in data transformations? Um, yeah, at, at, uh, yes, yes, with like huge caveats. So, so one of the ideas is that you can build out all these data structures and you build functions around all these data structures, and then you can compose them together. And I think that that's a really good idea. Like just as a general rule, like thinking about data structures that transform into other things is a really good idea. And we've talked about that for the past three episodes, you know, about the idea that what is a HTTP request, if not a data structure, a map filled with, with keys and values that you then transform into things and then eventually transform into a response. That's all the same idea. As applied by the book, what they're sort of doing with that is taking all of these data structures and then finding a place to put them. And that's the real trick. And I think this is where, you know, my my philosophy begins to diverge from the book's philosophy, which is that in the book, most of 
what they're sort of presenting is like, you have all this functional, this great functional data transformation stuff. Now you need to put it in a place where you can use it. Uh, and it just so happens to be that you don't really get to use it in a stateless HTTP web app thing that often uh, in, in, in typical web app fashion, simply because there's no reducer. There's no ability to like hold on to that state. The reducer is whatever's in the database. And they, their sort of design philosophy at that point is to take all those data structures and put them in a process to a gen server or something similar. Supervise them and like care about their life cycle, put them in a process somewhere and then run them and execute them that way. And that way they can hold that state. And so then you can build up sort of your application as processes uh, and then have those processes, you know, have your web app, you, you know, client thing, your interface, your web app be your interface into the running application. That's my interpretation of the pattern as presented by the book. Does that jive with what you got from it? Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, I don't think that I really have anything to add to that because that is exactly what I got from it. And um, I do, I think it's I think it's difficult to to come up with that data transformation stuff. It takes a lot of thought. There's a, a lot of work that goes into that. And then in my experience, when that works, it's pretty awesome. But I don't know that that works every time for me. Well, it's been my experience that that design can lead you to, if you're not careful, that design can lead you to places that sort of trap you <clears throat> in terms of design of, of a system. Is this the design where you have, where you're, where you're holding on to state inside of processes? Like, yeah, uh, effectively as caching. Yeah. And the problem is, and I, and I, this is, you know, I wrote a whole blog post about this called like the single, the single global process or whatever. I think, unfortunately, the, it only really works if you kind of don't care <laughs> about the data that you're manipulating. And the reason for that is, you know, what if you need to run on two nodes? If you've got a process and you're holding on to like important pieces of state, and you're deriving views from that piece of state, you have to put it somewhere eventually, which means putting it into a database or putting it somewhere that is global. And databases, I mean, let's be clear, like a database is a giant piece of global, it's a giant global mutable variable. That's what like a traditional relational database as used as a, in prescribed relational ways is just a giant mutable variable. It's actually like a really crappy design pattern at the end of the day. But it's a design pattern that it, that makes trade-offs and provides you a set of guarantees, depending on the database technology that you're using, right? And you, mm -hmm. and that's again gets back to this idea like you choose databases for reasons, like you choose them because they have these guarantees. And so, yeah, it's a giant mutable variable, but it's a giant mutable variable with rules and locks and transactions and all these other things that you kind of need to be able to talk about a giant mutable variable in a semi-coherent way. So, so the big problem whenever, so the database allows you to have one thing to go to for that data. But if you have these 
processes sitting on separate nodes that each have their own cache, mm-hmm. then they can get out of sync. Or you have to go through some... There, there are things in Elixir or Lang that allow you to like have just one of those in your entire Ish. set of nodes... Ish, yeah, Ish. or and or you well, have to go ish, through a lot of distributed part. systems work to have those at least be. I mean, you have you start to deal with cap theorem at that point, right? <clears throat> and that's why I say like the ish is the important part. The ish is where all of the ish is why this is hard. Mm-hmm. The ish is you know, can you have exactly one of those things, and using the tools using the off the shelf tools that exist the answer is no you just you actually can't just have exactly one of them using the using the off the shelf tools now maybe that doesn't matter maybe you're maybe you literally just don't care about your data and in that case fine you know alon z <laughs> i think it turns out that a lot of people do care about that data and overwriting it or somehow destroying it or, or mutating it incorrectly in the database layer, that single big global variable thing, that's really bad. That has that could have really, really bad implications, especially when you consider that if you don't have a paper trail for how that stuff ended up that way, you might never notice that it's wrong or corrupted until it's like way too late. Mm-hmm. That's really, really bad. Um, and it's one of those things that like, I think you have to be really careful about when you talk about building systems and thinking about this. It's one of the reasons why I still encourage people to, you know, I, I, it's one of the reasons I keep, I always kind of push newcomers to be like, just, you know, especially if they're from Ruby, it's like, just build your Phoenix application kind of the way you would have built your rails application and like, leave it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't get too all, all about all this OTP stuff all, you know, too early because that stuff is great. That stuff is really important don't model your domain as processes. And I don't, you know, at the end of the day, putting entities, even if they're just big aggregates of other, of lots of entities, like I think there's a trap where people feel like I, you know, it's not that I have a user's, and it's not that I have a process per user. I have one process to model this one interaction or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I have a process that models lots of, you know, aggregated entities all as one thing. But if that thing is also in charge of writing to the database and those sorts of those sorts of side effects, you ha- you still have an entity. It's just that it just so happens that your entity is this big aggregate of a bunch of different keys and you still have all the same problems. It's still OO at the end of the day. Like you're still just doing object oriented programming. So. I guess for me, then that leads straight into exactly what Kyle brought up is that processes are, are not data because they're right. They're objects at that point. Right. Um, I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. And I, and I think at the end of the day, that's not really how you want to model your application. You don't want to model your domain as processes at all. That's not what they're there for. And, and I think that the book tries to, push that to a little in saying model your domain as much as you can in data. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really mean to, to be honest, I I read only the, I think I read the same review copy that you did Mm -hmm. and then I didn't get a follow-up review copy. So I haven't read the full book. So 
I'm not really here to say the book is wrong and I'm right or whatever. I don't actually really know exactly what the book says. I'm sort of, this is more just me saying this uh, on my own. <laughs> this is just <laughs> my opinions on it, regardless of what the book says, right? Like the book might totally agree with me. I don't really know. My point is just that, uh, you, you know, I think processes are really good at modeling. <sighs> they're, they're really good at providing abstractions around concurrency fault tolerance, communication, all these sorts of things. And at the end of the day, like the process is the, the, the you know, you have to have a process somewhere, mm-hmm. right? Because the process is the base unit of computation in the beam. I think you don't want to get, fall into this trap of doing DDD, which is dumb anyway, and you shouldn't do. <laughs> but I don't think you want to do DDD with, with, with gen servers. It's a bad idea. Right, you shouldn't have a user process and uh, an invoice process and a line item process, which I have seen where it try, trying to re-implement objects and each individual object is its own process. Right, is is not good. Um, and, and and don't trick yourself into thinking that you didn't do that simply because you're joining line items and users together into one data structure and then putting it in right. a process. Right. That that's just an aggregate. And that's that it's just as bad putting that in a process. If you don't need to. Like putting it in a process just because it makes manipulating like essentially building a reducer like that can manipulate that code and and you know manipulate that data structure as a reducer, it's not worth it. It's like super not worth it for most use cases. You need to know why you're doing it. You need to have a really good reason to do it. And convenience and easiness is not a good reason. Right, because there are drawbacks. <laughs> so you got to think through those. So so we've talked about the one drawback of it, when you need two of these things. Mm-hmm. So what what are other drawbacks that you've run into? I think that's the that's the big one is that at some point you need two of the thing or you need to run on two nodes for stability and a little bit of scalability. Like you don't want to lock yourself into a decision wherein you can run on one node. That's not good. <laughs> like, like I, you know, I'm not the, I'm not sitting here saying if people have listened to this before, they know I'm not the biggest fan of things like auto scaling and that sort of stuff. Like, I don't think that's the way that you win this either, but you need to be able to run on more than one node. Right. <laughs> well, but, like, but I'm saying, like, I, I think a lot of, I think a lot of people are just sort of like, but why? Like, I'll just do this for now, and then eventually I'll fix it. And the trick is, like, you're going to do this design, then you're never going to be able to fix it. Well, it. Yeah, it gets it gets hard to fix. It's like a rewrite at some point. You've built yeah. too much structure on top of the way that works, and then then you get to rewrite it. So yeah, so I don't know that I. I mean, I totally agree with the with the fundamental statement of processes are not data. They're not. They're these, in the, in as much as they're not a data structure that you can manipulate. They're just, they're boundaries. They're little services. They're little things that you have to send messages into to communicate with, and then tell them to do things. And you want to do more modeling as just data. And we've talked about other ways to do that on the show recently, but. I, yeah, I don't know. I I don't want people to, processes are good. You should use them, but use them, you know, but, but think through like why you want them. Think through what it is that you're achieving by using them when you use them. Right. Processes are about fault tolerance 
and and restarting. I mean, really, to me, processes are all about the supervision and and taking part in that let it fail restart strategy. Mm-hmm. But processes can store keep data around. Store is a iffy term there for me, <laughs> since it is just a loop passing back into itself. They appear to store data. How about that? Uh, yeah. So what kinds of data should you put into a process? Because well, cache, I mean, caching yeah. is just hard in general, and cache invalidation is hard in general. Mm-hmm. So if you're using it as a cache, know that you're going to have a really hard problem ahead of you. Right. Well, and... You know the other the other trick people use the people use the trick a lot of like write through caches. They're like all the reads come out of the process, but the writes go to the database, and that's also tricky because mm-hmm. again, if you have more than one of these things ever, then you're almost certainly overwriting data unless you're doing CAS operations on the database layer, which almost no one does. So, in practice, anyway, you just mm-hmm. like you know write the stuff into the database. There's no like monotonic. Incrementing, incrementing counter thing that determines, I mean, some people do that, but by default, most people aren't. And so you get in these positions where you're overriding previous data, stuff like that, or you can be, um, which is not good. Places where it's really useful are like, you want to control some amount of, you know, you want to control things like concurrency, or you want to, I mean, there are places, there's times to do caching, but at the end of the day, you don't want a process to do caching with anyway. You want to probably put it in a nets table. So it, Mm -hmm. you know, scales, (laughs) like, so it works. That's probably where you want to be putting this stuff anyway. So, I mean, you want to use it for mechanical stuff. And unfortunately, I think most people, the mechanical stuff is already sort of solved for them. Like most people just need to talk to a database and they just need to make web requests. Yeah, if you're just doing Phoenix... You're probably then like, good. And it's and that's kind of it's kind of like boring to say because I think the processes, I know when I was getting started, processes are like what I got really excited about. Mm-hmm. And it feels like really deflating to be like, yeah, but when do I get to do all this fun OTP stuff? <laughs> and, You're like rare, not and very often. They're like, oh, well, somebody else already did it for you or whatever. And then that's yeah. boring. I don't want to do that. So then people, uh, you know add it to their specific domain. And I just, yeah, I just don't think you want to do that. There are times where you want to build little caches and stuff like that. And that's good. But, you know, I you don't want to do that for anything that's not really ephemeral or you can't be wrong about. That's like literally the point of a cache is to have a thing that you know that you can be wrong about. I I have, I have uh, like three levels of data that I kind of look at. And it's like very ephemeral, lives very shortly probably doesn't need to be stored in anything at all. Like it's just request throwaway, um, whether that's a web request or whatever, any kind of interaction. Then I have midterm, mid-level data that doesn't need to be stored in a database can probably be a little off sometimes, but might need to stick around. Like um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to Phoenix, like Phoenix presence type stuff, like people's connections, right? Mm-hmm. It can be a little off, and it's not a big deal. And then, and then, long term, like hardcore. This is the core of our business, mm-hmm. and that midterm stuff is what I store in a process. Is the stuff that needs to stick around for a few requests, but isn't that long term core business data. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to store anything in a process, that's where I do it. And then, 
in thinking about processes versus data and and where I'm going to put things. Processes are really all about, for me, failure mm-hmm. and and performance stuff, parallelism. And if I need I need to handle a certain type of failure or a parallel thing, so I try to separate my system into like. If I do have a process, maybe it's a over. It, it does. A, it might do quite a few things. It's not right. like a single thing. Um, I think I get this a little bit from from Sasha Yurik's blog post from a long time ago about mm-hmm. when to do processes, and it's like when I have the subsystem that I know how to restart this whole subsystem, right? And it might have failure, and I don't want it to take anything else out. So, like, if I'm talking to an external service. Right. That's going to be inside of a process. Right. But right. I, yeah, I don't, I don't store a lot there. I might store, I wanted to say credentials, but that's not really it <laughs> to that external service. But I, I might put something in there that is like a rotating key of some kind that if it goes away, I just grab another one. Right. Yeah. And we use it for that kind of stuff as well. Like that's where I use processes for exactly like all this mechanical stuff. And yeah, there are times where, you know, we, I built, I think we've talked about this on the show before, but I, at one point I had to build like a fuzzy searching kind of algorithm thing where the clients could send requests really rapidly and it would join up all of these pieces of all, you know, that it would do the search across multiple different services. And so mm-hmm. I used a process to govern that for that user's session, that basically what we called a session, a search session. And we shoved a bunch of the data in there. We got, we essentially like, we're pulling more data in the background and throwing it in there. And then as it, and then as they're typing and sending us events, we're doing like this fuzzy um, searching on it to try on to like data find that you've, that you've pulled out of the database pulled, and cached yeah. okay. or, or pulled from other services and those sorts of things. Uh, and, and we're intermixing all that with live data. And so if the live data is like failing to get back fast enough, then we're just returning stale data and all that. And then you know, at some point that process, if it doesn't receive your message within a certain amount of time, it times out and it goes away. But that's a trade-off you consciously made. Yes. And, and it was and like I, in an app that was already clustered, uh, we just registered it. We registered that process globally and then said, okay, find it if you're on the box already. You know, if you, if, that way, any requests that get round robin to some other service can go find that one. And we super don't care if all of a sudden we can't talk to that other node it does not matter. You know, worst case scenario, they're starting their session over or whatever. And it's like, it's just, it doesn't matter. But those are really, those sorts of scenarios I find just to be few and far between. When, and when, when, you know, when those happen, yeah, it's really cool that you have a process, you can use processes for that stuff and make them like cluster aware and send messages to them pretty easily. That's really rad. I just don't think that happens all that often. And spend time in that functional core. Like, I think that that book... Mm-hmm really does have a ton of great information and learning about how to design processes and and test your code well. And they they do talk about some of the drawbacks in there. Mm-hmm. So it is a fantastic book. Yeah, it's totally worth and, reading. And I mean, and I've had conversations with James and Bruce about this stuff, you know, right. offline. Like I, I've talked to them about these things, you know, sort of sort of outside of all of of, of this sort of stuff as well. And, and yeah, I think they, I think what's presented in the book is really good. I just think really be clear about what it is you're trying to achieve when you start to use these processes. <laughs> and I, th- I think that that's true of almost any technology thing, whether you're 
have a blog post or a book about it, um, you need to know that everything about design is is trade-offs and sometimes people aren't going to get all the information in there because it's impossible to actually give you everything. Just know that, that often there be dragons. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, unfortunately, I have to run. This is going to be a real short, short episode. I want to talk about this more because I think this is a really, this is a rich topic to discuss. Yeah. And hopefully we can do that. And it's hard later. to design pure data stuff if you haven't been doing it. Yeah, it is. And it is. Even if I take a break from it and work on a project that's like in Ruby or or something that's object-oriented and I come back, it's like, oh, crap. I have to get back into the thought process of this. Right. All right. Well, cool. This one's going to be short today. All right. Well, thanks, Chris. All right. Later, man. And I'll talk to you later. Bye.